Sunday night, and we're talking about a lot of different things. I've usually been teaching on Sunday night on prophecy, either the 70 weeks of Daniel or the uh, book of Revelation. I did uh, I did a series on Revelation back in the early 2000s. It was, it was like 236 messages, and it, and it was, uh, uh, it was every night for about four and a half, every Sunday night for about four and a half years. If you don't try to learn figures of speech, figures of speech, or idioms, metaphors, or if you don't try to learn what they meant when they said something, the Bible teaches everything in figures and pictures. You have to learn the pictures. I've said before, in the very first verse of Revelation... It'll tell you what things are about. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the revelations. It says the revelation, apocalypsis. A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. Now, we think of Revelation as something spooky and hazy. That's not what it is. It comes from apo, which means off with. And calupto, which is the word cover. Off with the cover, it has basically the same meaning as truth. Truth, Alethea, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Alethea comes from the word lanthano. Lanthano. And that is the word, means to hide, to cover up. And when you place the alpha, first letter of the Greek alphabet in front of a word, as a negative particle, it negates the word. Negate means to give an opposite meaning to lanthano. It means not to hide anything. Oh, that's actually what apocalypsis means. Take the cover off. Keep Take the cover off and reveal what the truth is. That's what the word truth means. But you can't do that if you don't know anything about the Bible. And he says in here, we're going to take the cover off which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Signifies the key word there. Signified. S-E-M-E-I-O-O. It's a form of the word Simeon. Simeon uh, means a flag a beacon, a pointer. What John is saying, God's going to give you things that points to the truth. 
But you're not going to know that if you don't study the culture, the customs, the idioms, the metaphors. You're not going to know. You're not going to know that a scorpion, the word is S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S, is a con man or a false teacher. There in the ninth chapter, false teacher. Well, when you come up, when you see scorpions coming out of the bottomless pit, unless you look this up, you're going to find out there's no such thing as a bottomless pit. That's like saying there's a hole in the ground that never ends down there. It goes to the other side of the world and goes out in space. That's not the word bottomless pit. <coughs> if you don't break this down, you're not going to know what it is. Well, in the Greek, you have a noun and a verb form of the noun. The verb form of scorpion is scorpizo. That means to scatter. Scatter. And this verb form is used in John 10 when the Bible says, the hireling, the man that preaches for money, allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock. Wolves are false teachers. Jesus said so in, in Matthew, the 7th chapter. Paul said, wolves, grievous wolves are going to come in and not spare the flock in the 20th chapter of Acts. So you have to understand that scorpions are false teachers. In fact, what gets me, Hal lands in all these brilliant, so-called brilliant uh, Bible teachers, uh, prophecy teachers, they'll come on there and say, I believe these are helicopters coming out of a hole in the ground. You dummy. You ain't never looked at nothing. Well, bottomless pit, abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S. It is our word, abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. An abyss is something hazy, and and it's like it had, it means you don't have any knowledge of what's going on. I've used this illustration. There are a lot of these rivers down in South America, they come down over a cliff and fall for a thousand feet and it's real hazy down there and there's a very it's a foam coming up and you'll say I wonder what's down there I don't know what's down there well abyss means a place of no knowledge and these false teachers come from a place of comes from bathos meaning great knowledge great knowledge great knowledge, and the alpha privative in front of it. That alpha privative comes in everywhere. Alpha privative is the A in front of a word. It's just like atypical. It means not typical in our language. Or asexual, not sexual. Any of those things like that, it means not typical, not sexual. Well, this means no knowledge that's where the these guys come from these these uh, false teachers they come from and Hal Lindsey says that looked looked like Cobra helicopters he said that years ago and wrote it in books dumb 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 if you guys would look around if you just pick up your concordance look up scorpion and go over there and kind of look, thumb down through it and it'll say Ezekiel second chapter you flip over there, 
And the Lord says, Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. Oh, we discovered something, didn't we? Like it was a great big difficulty. It's not. These guys just imagine everything. I'm going to show you some things tonight about men's imagination. They have no idea. Over there in Mark 11, Mark 11, and 23, the Bible says, if you'll say to this mountain, here's a good Pentecostal thing, mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. You're going to say that to a mountain. Well, the Pentecostals and even some of the Baptists have latched on to it say, that's a mountain of debt, a mountain of difficulty, a mountain of pride. No, 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 no. Well, it is a mountain of pride. A mountain, the reason there's, Jesus says, if you'll say to this mountain, that's because Peter was arguing with him about killing a fruit tree, killed a fig tree earlier. It's against Jewish law to kill fruit trees in that 19th chapter, the last verse of Deuteronomy. Unless it's five years old or older, not bearing fruit, and it's five years old and not bearing fruit, it can't bear fruit. It's a dead tree as far as fruit's concerned. So if it's if it's not bearing fruit, lay the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down. Jesus cursed the tree, and then Peter starts arguing with him. Don't you know it's against the law to kill fruit trees, Jesus? He didn't say that, but he said, Behold, the tree you killed is dead. Well, you have to know what a mountain is. And if you don't have any study books to find out, the best set of books I've ever run across is this set right here. This is the Cyclopedia of Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature by John McClintock and James Strong. James Strong is the same man that contributed the concordance to us. And this has got several hundred uh, contributors to it. Let me tell you what a mountain is according to this right here. Okay? I'm going to read it to you. I've read it many times, but I'm going to read it to you again. Mount. And the way it starts off, it says, In symbolical language. Hmm. So it has to be symbol. In symbolical language of Scripture, if the allegory or figurative representation is taken from the heavens... The luminaries denote the governing body. What he is saying, heavens, when you find heavens, in Isaiah the 65th chapter, when the Lord said, there will be new heavens, new heavens, <coughs> and new earth. It was a coffin that made the thing jag. All right, new heavens and new earth. God is prophesying to Israel, I'm going to cut you off and blind you, and I'm going to go to a people that did not know me. I'm going to go to the Gentile church. Well, the heavens, gosh, I got that here too. 
I look up mountain here. Here's the H volume. And the H volume, heaven, says. Terrestrially and figuratively regarded, it's figure of speech. It don't mean a pile of dirt in the distance. A figure of speech, wherever the scene of a prophetic vision is laid, heaven signifies symbolically the ruling power of government. (coughs) That is... (coughs) The whole assembly of the ruling powers which respect to the subjects of the earth are a political heaven. That's the first thing it says under heaven. It doesn't say anything about the air. It says nothing about the atmosphere. It doesn't say anything about where God is. It's talking about governments. Even there's going to be new heavens. What is the new heavens? It's the new government Instead of Israel being the government, how could Israel have been the government? Because if they were keeping the laws of God in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, the Bible says you can go against your enemy one way, as long as you're obedient to me, and you can beat them real bad. No matter how many there are, you can whip them, and they'll flee seven ways. And when Israel was obedient to God, there would be times that the enemy would come against them. The Assyrians came against them at, at not the Assyrians, the, the Syrians came against them at one point, and they covered the plain. The Bible says Israel encamped against them like, like two little flocks of kids, two little flocks of goats, and the Syrians were covering the plain. Over 100,000 Syrians, and Israel only had 7,000 fighting men. They went out there and just beat their brains out. Went out there and killed over 100,000 Syrians in one day. They were governing them, weren't they? It didn't matter how many there were. Uh, Samson picked up the jawbone of an ass one day and killed a 1,000 Philistines. One day before breakfast, he killed 30 of them by himself wasn't because he looked like Hercules. It's because he had the power of God on him. And they, God says, all you have to... So that makes them the heavens. If they're obedient to God, they are the heavens. But since they kept going after all these idol gods for hundreds of years, God says, for at least 500 years, God says, I'm going to call my people by another name, Gentile Church. And that's going to be the heavens. Well, what do we rule with? Well, we're priests and kings, aren't we? Priests offer acceptable sacrifice. He's made us priests and kings. We give our bodies a living sacrifice. That's how we're priests. Can't offer any offering unless you're a priest. He's made us priests and kings. We're a royal priesthood. And we're kings. Kings. Declare righteous judgment. And what is our scepter? We have a scepter of what? Righteousness. Hebrews 1 and 8. Righteous. So we have a scepter of righteousness. And that's what we rule people with. You say, what do you mean by that? If you learn these words, you go out in public and somebody talks to you. And you just turn on them and give them these truths scares the life out of them. I know I have that experience every day. I have old people like me come up. 
What do you mean you got that on your shirt? God doesn't love everybody. I said, that's what the Bible says. And I hit him with it. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. But either one were born for either one had done any good or evil. And I've seen old people just slink away from it going, well, I just don't think that's right. I think, I believe God loves everybody. I said, no, he doesn't. I hollered and said, leaving. That's how you rule people. I tell the story about I used to work in real estate. And I went into an office one time back in the 80s to pick up a key to go show a house. And there was an old Marine sergeant in there, and he had worked with me at another company. He come out just more, just sounding off because there was some plastic women sitting on the couch waiting for their clients. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're plastic. <laughs> And they're sitting there waiting for their clients with their Cadillacs out in the drive. And he said, well, I feel great today. He's trying to show off to those women. And I said, oh, you uh, you must have Jesus in your heart. I said it right in front of them. And boy, he melted to the floor. He went, oh, no blankety, blankety, blank. I said, well, I can tell you don't have Jesus in your heart because out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. And he said, I've got to get out of here. That's how you rule them with the scepter of righteousness. Learn the scriptures, give it to people instead of some opinion, and they'll slink off. That's how you rule them. But you've got to learn it. You can't rule them while you're unlearned. Now, let me get back to this. If you don't know the figures of speech, they Peter was giving Jesus a fit because he killed a fruit tree and it's against the Jewish law to kill fruit trees. Unless, unless he's five years old or older, not bearing fruit. Can you show us that, Jim? I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you. If we'll go back to Deuteronomy. And boy, the Pentecostals and the, even some of the Baptists take that and devastate it. It's, I mean, it's insane what they do with the, if you'll say to this mountain, be thou moved, be thou cast in the sea. And without understanding what a mountain is, there's so much you're not going to know. You have to know what a mountain is. It is, it's a ruling class. It's the same thing as a heaven. Same thing. Now here in, 20th chapter, did I say 19? I meant 20. Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them to make a battering ram or whatever you're trying to make. For thou mayest eat of them. So he's talking about fruit trees, isn't he? You may eat of the fig fig trees, and it's against the law. And thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life, to employ them in the siege. Only the trees which thou knowest, that they may not trees for meat or for food, you can cut them down, but no fruit trees is against my law. And Jesus killed one there in Mark 11. And boy, the Pentecostals, if you'll say the mountain of debt, be thou cast in the sea, oh, ah, hey, knuckleheads, good grief. 
But you're not going to know that unless you have some of this information, are you? And thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. And if you go over to Leviticus, it tells you in the 17th chapter, if the tree is five years old or older, not bearing fruit, and it's barren, you cut it down. I'm not going to go into that any further because I've got so much to say tonight. Now, let me go back to Mount. In this M volume of McClinic and Strong Mount. In symbolical language of Scripture, how's that to start an article on it? In symbolical language, if the allegory of figurative representation is taken from the heavens, luminaries denote the governing body. Heavens is a governing body. If from an animal, the head or the horns. Horns in heavens are the same thing. Head or horns. Heaven. Head. A head was a capital city. When you get over there in Revelation... In Revelation, the 12th chapter, you see a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. It actually meant seven capital cities. Then when you go to the 13th chapter, you see the beast with seven heads and ten horns. Now, I go into this in great detail. I'm not going to do that tonight, just to introduce you to it. Ten horns. And the beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They had seven different capital cities. And they would go back and forth from Rome to Babylon. When the Babylon Babylonians took over uh, Babylon, that was one of the heads. When the Persians conquered the Babylonians. They wanted to keep the capital city there because it was such a magnificent place. There's another head or another mountain. And when the when the Greeks under Alexander the Great overthrew Persia, they kept the capital city there because he liked that city. It was on the Euphrates River. So there was a head there. And I'm not going to the other heads. It takes me all night. If a mountain or a fortress... In this case, the capital city, a residence of the governors taken from the supreme power. When David said, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made thy mountain to stand strong. He means to express the stability of his kingdom. There's no way I can give you all the details of this in one teaching. It's my mind starts going to a hundred different directions right now. But I'm going to try to stay on this subject. In like manner, the kingdom of the Messiah is described under the under the figure of a mountain in Isaiah 2 and 2. So a mountain and a heaven, mountain and a heaven are the same thing. And horns are the same thing. Horns are powers. So let me just show you one more time over to Zechariah. Unless you think figuratively, you're going to miss it all. That's why these preachers and these so-called prophecy teachers like Howlins and Jack Van Wimpy, 
That's why they are so goofy on their interpretations. They try to make something literal. They try to make fire come out of somebody's mouth. Fire out of a mouth was preaching the truth. It's not my word a fire in Israel is wood, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 5 and 14. Fire from the mouth of the prophets and the fire from the mouth of the of the two witnesses, it's talking about them preaching the truth of God, cutting into the people. And when these guys had had tongues like as a fire, it was talking about the tongues from their mouth. It was preaching the hard truth of the word of God. Doesn't mean Pentecostal tongues, Shandalamandakandai. Has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Preachers are idiotes. They're idiots. They're unlearned. There's not hardly anything going on in America. I ever hear on the radio, I'm going, oh gosh. God wants you to kill those people. They're false teachers. And he, uh, he probably was saying to me, well, I will in time. I'll send them to hell one day. I don't believe most of the preachers in America are Christians. If they are, they would know how to tell the truth. You can read the Bible and come up with something better than what they're coming up with. Now, let me get the rest of this here. David said, he spoke of God's kingdom of the Messiah as a figure of a mountain. And I better stop right here and show you what this is talking about. Huh? I think I did, didn't I? Well, I'm not through reading this right here. I'll get back to Zechariah. <coughs> Isaiah 2 and verse 2. Look at this. This makes people think something's going on that's not. If you know what a mountain is, capital city, Zechariah, not Zechariah, Isaiah. I'll get in a minute. Isaiah. And you don't you don't differ any from the New Testament to the old. God's definitions are the same. All right. Now Isaiah two. And they're even telling you this in this he says that let me read that again. In the matter of the kingdom of Messiah is described under the figure of a mountain this is Adam McClunnock and Strong Isaiah 2 and 2 look here what it says people really get confused about this but while you're thinking of this remember we do not believe in a millennium thousand years after this is over mainly because one of the main reasons there's seven trumpets sound in Revelation 8, 9 and 10 we're going to be changed at the last trump and in Revelation 10 and 7, Christ puts one foot on the land, the other one on the sea, and says, Time is no more at the sounding of the last trump. And most people want to say, Yeah, but except for a thousand years. No, he said, Time is no more. I've conquered all my enemies at the sounding of the last trump. So there is no millennium after this is over, and there is no pre-trib rapture. We're going to be changed at the last trump. And I got 10,000 things to say on that, and I can't get into that because I'm trying to look at this. Look here. 
Isaiah 2, verse 1. The word of that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days. Well, the days of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Right? A thousand years is one day. So there were four days, according to the Bible, from Adam. We're not talking about the creation. I can't go into that right now. I believe that there's a space of millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. Adam to Jesus was four days, 4,000 years. The last days, I believe, will be the last 2,000 years. Well, the 2,000 years didn't end at the year 2000. Because the last days were here in Acts 2. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Jonah, Joel that in the last days the Lord shall pour out of his spirit on all flesh. And the spirit upon all flesh is not a Pentecostal thing. Jumping up and down going, whoopee. That's not it. The spirit is the, the spirit is truth. Truth. He is truth. In the Old Testament, only the Jews, only the one flesh had the truth. One flesh. One flesh had the truth. That was from Adam down to Noah to Shem. We get the word Semitic from our Shemitic from Shem, his second born, all the way down to Jesus. Only one flesh received the truth. When they kept going after Bell in the Grove, this Christmas system, God says, I'm going to blind your eyes and call my people by another name. That's Gentile church. And that came about in around 35 A.D. Now, I don't know if the Lord's going to come back in 2035. We don't have reliable calendars in our day and time. We don't have any. The best scholars will tell you that. So 2000, the last days could be from Acts 2, where red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh would receive the truth. Only the elect red people, only the predestinated yellow people, only the elect predestinated white people and black people and brown people will receive the truth. That will be all flesh or all men in the last days. So look what he's saying here. And Isaiah, uh, it shall come to pass in the last days. I believe it's talking about the last 2,000 years. I don't see how we can go much longer. All the prophecy, Israel is back. People say, well, that's not literal Israel. It matters not. They're back. And you don't have to be a 100% Jew to receive the covenant of Abraham. The Lord told Abraham, the covenant is to you and to anyone in your house that will keep my laws. It goes to them, Gentiles. But that was the mystery that was hidden through the ages that the Gentiles didn't have the truth over here. And God says, I'm going to give it to them here. 
I open the eyes of the Jews, but I'm going to blind the Jews. When Jesus comes in Jerusalem in the 19th chapter of Luke, he says, If thou hadst known even thou in this thy day, but now they're hidden from your eyes, and you're blind, Jews. So the last days over here. In the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house. What was the house of the Lord? The house of God was the inner sanctuary where the law was written on tables of stone. Now over here in the New Testament, in this spiritual house of God, what's the spiritual house of God? The church. That's us, isn't it? Christ is the son of his own house, whose house are we? He lives in us, and he lived inside. He came down out of that Shekinah cloud and lived on the Ark of the Covenant and ruled Israel from there. And the only people that had any contact with him was a high priest that would come in this in this holy of holies, and that was called the house of God. And that's equal to that verse over there in Hebrews the third chapter. Christ is over son over his own house. Whose house are we? House of God is us. And the mountain of the house of God would be Zion, wouldn't it? The house of God or this or this temple was built on Mount Zion. When God refers to Israel, he's always talking about Zion. He calls all of Israel Zion. When they're carried away into captivity into Babylon, when southern Judah is, and God says, Deliver thyself, O Zion, from the daughter of Babylon. You're captive in Babylon. When he says Zion, he don't mean a pile of dirt. He means the people or the mountain of God. You've got God's mountain, mountain, God's mountain. And then you have the mountain of the world. What is that? Babylon, that's it. And God says, Babylon is a proud mountain. And he says, and Babylon is a destroying mountain. You can find this at the very end of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 51. Babylon is a destroying mountain. How can Babylon be a destroying mountain? How is she a destroying mountain? Huh? What is it? Oh, the mother of the mother of all harlots. Revelation seventeen and five. She's the mother. Babylon's the mother of harlots. And what was she founded on? That word is pornea, it means idolatry. Pornia's idolatry. That's the word harlots, Revelation seventeen five. Idolatry. She's the mother of idolatry. Idolatry, remember, is it O E I D O L O L A T R E I A. Idolatry comes from Ido and Latruo. It means to serve Latruo. 
What you see, serve what you see. What was she founded on back here in Genesis 11? Genesis 11 and 4. We're talking about the destroying mountain that's destroyed all the earth with her doctrine. What was her doctrine? Let us make us a name. They found a plain in this land of China and said, Let us build us a city and a tower. Tower is the word migdal. It means a pulpit or a rostrum. People could see Babylon from afar off. It was 14 miles wide all the way around Babylon. 14 miles on each side. 14, 14, 14. The huge monstrosity. The walls are about 400 feet high. Coming in out across the plains. What in the world is that? Nebuchadnezzar said, that's great, my, that's great Babylon that I have built. God struck him down for that. And they said, let us make us a name. This is the most evil thing in the world. Let us make us a name. The word name is the word Shem. Shem was the ruler of the world, and it took on the meaning authority. They said, we don't like Shem ruling us. Let us make up our own name, our own authority, our own doctrine. And they begin to imagine everything. And the Bible says, this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now, so Babylon was a destroying mountain. God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And you can see Babylon at the end of time burning. May not be literal fire, just maybe the judgment of God raining down on the world system of self. That's all it is. The reason people don't want to own up to this doctrine, they don't want it to destroy their livelihood and their and their wonderful uh, prosperity. They don't want this to be true. But there in Revelation, the 8th chapter, in Revelation, the 18th chapter, we see Babylon, a burning mountain, destroying all the goodies that the world has to offer. And that would be the diamonds and the riches and the money and the houses and the and the, the vacation homes in Florida and in Switzerland. Everything's going to go down. So... What he's talking about here in the second chapter, he's talking about Jerusalem. In the last days, who is Jerusalem down here? Who's Jerusalem here in this last 2,000 years? Uh, The church. It's the church. The Bible says, so when you're reading these prophets, (coughs) you can't understand anything unless... You understand the figures of speech. Look over here in Hebrews. Now Zion is where the mountains sat. The Lord told Israel, Deliver thyself, O Zion, from being captive in Babylon. Now look over here in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the... Let me get over here. 
Hebrews. And this will show you who this mountain is in the 11th chapter, in the second chapter of of Isaiah. I'll get over it in a minute. I keep flipping. All right. In the 12th chapter, here's, here's where Zion is. So he's comparing... I want you to notice the antithesis, whatever that means. A-N-T-I-T-H-E-S-I-S. A-N-T-I-T-H-E-S-I-S. I mean, it comes from anti-antithemae. Antithemae means to lie opposite. I want to show you the antithesis here. He's showing you in these verses Zion in the old, excuse me, the mountain of God, which is where Moses got the law in Sinai and the mountain of God, which is the temple or spiritual Zion. Everything in the Old Testament equals everything in the New. Now look here. For ye are not come to the mount that might be touched. The one that you couldn't touch in the Old Testament was when Moses went up on the mountain in the wilderness and the Lord says, anybody touches this, you'll die while Moses is up here. That burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded when Moses was upon the mountain. If any beast, as much as a beast, touched the mountain, it shall be stoned and thrust through with a spear. You kill any animal that touches this mountain, God says. I don't want any uncleanness here. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceeding fear and quake. Exceeding fear means it's the word ekphobel. Ekphobel is a construction of ek and phobeo. Phobeo is our word phobia, except it don't mean, don't mean a phobia. It means to be frightened out of your wits. People say, uh, we're not afraid of God. He didn't give us the spirit of fear. That's not even the meaning of that verse. There in Second Timothy, the first chapter. That's, that's not even the word phobeo. That's just a word that means to be timid. All right. Uh, where was I? 22. But we're coming to Mount Zion, which is where God's house is, and we're the house of God. We're come to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Remember, in the 11th chapter of this book, the Lord calls literal Jerusalem, calls it Sodom and Egypt. He only calls the church heavenly Jerusalem. And it's Mount Zion. That's us. Heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, this is all one sentence, and church of the firstborn. We have been predestined to be the firstborn among many brethren. We are the firstborn. We are, I don't have time to go into that right now. Too much to it. Now back over here to Isaiah 2. If you don't study the culture and the customs and the idioms, you're not going to understand anything in the Bible. These guys that call themselves prophecy teachers, they don't know nothing about what they're talking about. You're wasting your money buying their books. So he says, shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, which is us, heavenly Jerusalem, we are Mount Zion, aren't we? Shall be established. Let me make this real clear. The mountain of the Lord's house, the church, shall be established in the top of the mountains of the world and shall be as exalted above all the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. What is that talking about? That's talking about God pouring out of his spirit on all flesh and people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Only the predestinated elect will come to this house of God, which house you are, which is the temple. And instead of the law being written on tables of stone over here in the Old Testament, (coughs) now it's written on fleshy tables of our heart. We're the temple. We're the mountain of God. It's all spiritual language. If you missed that, you missed the whole thing. And the way these guys interpret that, they destroy it. They try to make this a millennium. It's ridiculous. It's not the millennium because there is no millennium. The end of time comes at the last trump. Shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. All the nations in the sense that the predestinated elect will come into the house of God. All nations, all Gentiles. Every time you find nation over here in the Old Testament and Gentile, they're the same thing. Same words. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the church of the Lord. Not the Baptist church, where the people gather together to know God, to worship Him. That's the house of the Lord. Then that's us. Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. Do you think the house in the Old Testament is any different than in the New? God doesn't change. His house over there was the inner sanctuary. He came down and dwelt and lived on the Ark of the Covenant. Now he lives in our hearts, doesn't he? He's written up on fleshy tables of our hearts. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The kingdom of God is in you. But without understanding these figures of speech, you're not going to know anything about prophecy. Then he says... He will teach us his ways. That word is the word direct. It's the Old Testament form of hodos. Hodos is the word way in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, narrow is the way. He's going to teach us his narrow way. And people will listen to me say this and say, that guy sounds crazy. No, you sound crazy when you think this is during a millennium and all the world's going to come to the house of God when he ends time at the signing of the seventh trump. 
We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from heavenly Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations. Remember that word nation is the word goyim, G-O-Y-I-M. That's plural, I am. Goy is singular. Goy is the word nation. It's also the word Gentile. If we can understand these words, everywhere you find nation in the Old Testament, it's also the word Gentile. And when you find the word nation in the New Testament, it's the word ethnos. And the word Gentile is the word ethnos in the New Testament also. This is talking about the nations, the Gentiles coming to the light. That only happens in the last days, the last 2,000 years. Makes more sense than what they're saying, doesn't it? If you don't know these figures of speech, you're just lost as a goose. He shall judge the Gentiles and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That don't mean they're going to have a millennium and people are going to be out here plowing. <laughs> That's crazy to me. They're going to be out there plowing with their plows. No, what this is saying, the church is going to be during a time of peace. Peace in the church. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But it's not of this world. You're not supposed to be physically fighting anyone. That's the truth. He said that, didn't he? Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. He's talking about Gentile against Gentile, Gentile believers against Gentile believers. Neither shall they learn war in the flesh anymore. It'll be us. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And what did he, what did Paul tell the church at Ephesus? You were darkness, but now you light. Walk as children of light. And Isaiah, through this whole book, talks about the Gentiles coming to the light. And I don't have time to go into that so much. Now let's go back to Zechariah. Let's go back over here to reading what a mountain was out of McClinic and Strong. We found out it was horns. We found out it was a, it was heavens. Heavens and mountains are all the same, along with horns. Now go over to Zechariah. If you don't understand figurative, figurative speech, you're wasting your time trying to study the Bible. You got to find out what they meant when they did. They mean everything that we mean. No. That was a different language, a different world 2,000 years ago. They thought different than us. They didn't even talk like us. We've got to learn to think like they thought. Over here in Zechariah, now we figured out just from the mountain article here and the heaven article that heavens and mountains and, and horns are all the same thing, aren't they? They mean power. Horns means power. All right. 
Now here in Zechariah, the first chapter, at the very end of the chapter, let's read here in verse 18. Then lifted I up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. We just got through saying, reading out of the McClendon and Strong, that horns and heavens and mountains were the same. It's different ways of saying the same thing. It's like saying the wind blew, the wind raged, uh, there was a tornado, there was a hurricane. We know there's a lot of devastation there. It's like saying the same thing different ways. It's just like saying death to self, daily cross, self-denial. Repent means to be turned away from self and think differently. Daily cross means death to self. Self-denial means contradict self. They all are the same thing with different language. And when you learn that, it's easier to learn the Bible by thinking figuratively. And most most of these so-called scholars say, well, these people take the Bible figuratively and not literally. You mean there's actually a dragon with seven heads and ten horns in that 12th chapter of Revelation? He's breathing fire and being, being stupid? Besides that, the word dragon doesn't mean a fire-breathing dragon. It's the word dracon, D-R-A-K-O-N. It means to fascinate. Now, that don't sound right, does it? Most people are looking for a fire-breathing dragon. That's what Jack Van Wimpy is looking for. Looking for a fire-breathing dragon with fire coming out of his mouth. What was coming out of his mouth in the 12th chapter of Revelation, he's a dragon... What was coming out of his mouth was a great flood. Well, what comes out of a, a fascinating person's mouth? What comes out of their mouth? Huh? Good words and fair speeches, doesn't it? Smooth talk, flattering words. You, you can't even begin to look at the 12th chapter of Revelation. Twelfth chapter of Revelation is a panoramic view of all time. You can't even begin to interpret if you don't believe that. And the woman that's having a man-child, we know that is Israel. Because Israel is called a virgin. She was called a virgin before Mary was. When a virgin brings forth a son, and it brings forth a son, and as soon as he comes out from the woman, which is Israel... As soon as it's born there in that 12th chapter of Revelation, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That can only be Jesus. And the dragon's trying to devour the baby. He's not going to be do that. not going to be having any success. Verse 18, Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked to me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which scattered Judah, Israel and Jerusalem. Well, gosh, that's not hard if you've been coming here, has it? What are the four horns that dis- that destroyed him? And the Lord showed me four carpenters, and s- then said I, What came these to do? And he spake and said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these are come to fray them or destroy them. 
to cast out the horns of the Gentiles which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter. Horns are powers. What are the four horns that destroyed Israel and carried them away? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. That's the four horns. I mean, how many times have I preached on that? Goodness sakes alive. You cannot understand these words without knowing something about the culture. Let me read the rest of this here. So horns, horns, heavens, uh, and mountains are all the same thing, right? They're the same. People are not looking for something that's synonymous with other words. Then he says, the mystic mountains in the apocalypse denote kingdoms and states subverted to make room for the Messiah's kingdom in Revelation 6 and 14 and Revelation 16 and 20 and Psalms 46 and 2. The Chaldean monarchy, Chaldean means Babylonian, monarchy is described as a mountain in Jeremiah 51, 25. That's what I was telling you about a while ago. Jeremiah 51, 25. Look at that. Jeremiah 51 and 25. Jeremiah 51 and verse... Well, look at Jeremiah 50. This is the destruction of Babylon by the Persian Empire. Chapter 50 and 51 is the the Old Testament destruction of Babylon. You got the account several places. You got it over in Daniel, the 6th chapter. You got it here. You've got it in uh, Isaiah, the 44th chapter and 45th chapter. Then you got the, gosh, I want to go so many places there. And you got it in the 13th chapter of Isaiah, the destruction. Now, let me read this here in the 51st chapter. Babylon's going down in verse 29 of the 50th chapter. Call together the archers against Babylon, all ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none therefore escape. Recompense her according to her work. Her let us make us the name work, her destroying the world. According to all that she hath done, do unto her. For she hath been proud against the Lord when she said, let us make us the name. She's proud against God. And he says in verse 31, Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud Babylon, saith the Lord of hosts, for thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee. Now look over here. Well, I like verse 39 of that chapter. Therefore, the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of the island shall dwell there and the owl shall dwell therein and it shall be no more inhabited forever. Babylon will not be built again. Where are you going to, where are you going to get Babylon over there in the 18th chapter of Revelation? It's a worldwide system. But that Babylon would never rise again. It was really funny. Saddam Hussein said he was going to rebuild that Babylon, implying that he's going to become the new Nebuchadnezzar. 
Well, he missed that a long way, didn't he? And it shall be no more inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. You have that several places. Then he says over here in in verse 24 of chapter 51, And I will render unto Babylon, to all the inhabitants of Chaldea, that's Babylonian area, all their evil that they have done in Zion, in Jerusalem, in your sight, saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, O destroying capital city that has gone out and seduced all the world, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth with your pride, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks, and I'll make thee a burnt mountain. And we see the mountain burning over there in Revelation, don't we? Just very quickly, I won't go into it in great depth. But everything in the Old Testament has a meaning in the New, but you're not going to know the meaning unless you find some books or something that has customs and cultures and idioms and metaphors in it. You can't find it. You can't go out here and get a Webster Dictionary and find it or an Encyclopedia Britannica. It's not going to be in there. These books were written in the 1800s when they still printed a lot of information, and they don't print them anymore, other than if you buy a set of these on the on the Internet. And you've got the... You've also got the... Uh, uh, Hastings. The amount of information you can get out of the Hastings is unbelievable. Excuse me here. Encyclopedia of Religion. Hastings. You get these and the McClinic and Strong, you'll study these as long as you live and you still get a drop, just a drop of the information here. It's astounding. And they've got an index volume in here. You can look up the word swastika. Swastika was the will of the year. It was the Big Dipper in its four phases. It's not like these things are not a secret. People just won't study. If you get these, read them. Read, flip, do what I do. I got a set of these at home. I got a set upstairs in my library, and I'll flip through here, and I'll say, I need to read this, and I'll put a little marker like this in there, a little post-it note, and I'll read, flip over here. <coughs> you can go into my library at home, pull out some of the volumes, and I got markers all through them. What I'm doing is saying, I need to read this, and I need to read this, and I need to read this, and I've caused myself to go back and pick those books up and go through and read some of those articles. I didn't learn all this stuff by then. I think, you know what I think this means? <laughs> I hate it. If you ever hear me say, I think, from the pulpit, would somebody come up here and slap me as hard as you could? That's like a curse word to me. Huh? Okay, <laughs> hit me with acings. I don't believe in saying, I think. I'll say, Paul said this. Here's what it means. Let me read some more of this. How much time do I have, Mike? Okay. Let me read some more of this. The mystic mountain and the apocalypse denote kingdoms and, and states. Kingdoms and states. That's the mountain. You'll say to this mountain, be thou removed. Quit arguing with me over killing a fruit tree, Peter. I know it's against the law to kill it unless it's five years old or older, bearing, not bearing fruit. 
Then you lay the axe to the root of the tree. States subverted make room for the Messiah's kingdom. The Chaldean monarchy is described as a mountain in Jeremiah fifty-one twenty-five. We saw that in Zechariah four and seven. The Targum illustrates the idea by substituting the word fortress in the former text. That's another word for mountain, a fortress. It was a ruling. It was a ruling people. In this view, then, a mountain is the symbol of a kingdom or of a capital city with its domains or of a king. What a mountain is, which is the same. Mountains are frequently used to signify places of strength, of what kind soever, to whatsoever use is applied. Eminences were very commonly chosen for the sites of pagan temples. They put them in the mountains. These became places of asylum and were looked upon as fortresses and defenders of the worshipers by reason of the presence of the false deities in them. On this account, oh, you remember Mount Olympus, don't you? That was the pantheon of the gods. Pantheon comes from pan. It means all the gods. They had all their all of their uh, Grecian gods there. They had... Aphrodite there, they had uh, Jupiter and all the rest of them. They had statues to them. On this account, mountains were the strongholds of paganism, and therefore in several parts of Scripture they signify idolatrous temples and places of worship. Let me show you something else. Let's go back over to Mark 11. Go back to Mark 11. This is a favorite verse of the Pentecostals. They love to say, if you want, if you got a mountain of debt and you want to move it out of your life, just uh, say to that mountain. That's a part of their positive confession, goofy religion. That's something that Kenneth Hagin brought to America. Not Kenneth Hagin. Uh, one old preacher brought it from... Uh, the Far East, and he said, huh? No, no, this no, this another guy. Uh, I can't think of his name. It's, yeah, E.W. Kenyon brought it to America, and Kenneth Hagin got a hold of it, and he he propagated it into the Pentecostal church and called it positive confession. He said that everything was full of vibrations, uh, the earth was full of vibrations and they had positive and negative vibrations. He taught that if you see the Indian people, people from India, if you go to India, you find your guru and lay down on one of their their pallets. Sometimes it's a metal pallet and they put these crystals on your back. They say they can heal you of any kind of disease because they have positive vibrations in them. I never met anybody that went over and was healed. They said they have positive vibrations. They brought that back to America, took verses out of the Bible, and if you'll say to this mountain, be thy moon, be thy cast of the sea, is one of them. Then you'll have whatsoever you say, and they say you can create your own world by speaking positive. 
this preacher over in Arkansas, he died. He was crazy. What was the guy in Arkansas, Mike? You remember that? Huh? No. No, the guy, he was a buddy of Kenneth Copeland's. But he says, if you say anything, that it'll come to pass. If you say, well, you keep doing that, I could just die. He said, you keep saying that, you'll die. They say, you create your own world with the vibrations of your mouth. And this is just one of the verses here in Mark Mark 11 that they use for that. They say, you can create getting rid of bills in the distance. If it's a mountain of debt, you don't have to have that. You can say to the mountain of debt, be removed and be cast in the sea. And you have what you say. That's not even what this is about. It's it's disgusting because the charismatics are they are infiltrating all of Christianity. They're all over the world. They're in down Ecuador, aren't they? Just hordes of them in Ecuador, churches, and they're holding hands with the Roman Catholics. They say all you have to do is say it with your mouth. And over here in Mark eleven Jesus comes to this fig tree, and this is something people don't even know. You can get it out of McClinic and Strong. Jesus comes up to a fig tree, and the tree has leaves. But unless you look up fruit trees in here, you're not going to know what that means. When there were leaves on a tree, they had preseason figs. That would be before the leaves. So Jesus sees the fig tree in Bethphage, or we call it Bethpage, house of figs. Being the house of figs, there was a bunch of fig trees there. He walks up, he sees one, and he uses it out of the illustration. Walks up to see, perhaps there's figs on it. And he says right here, on the morrow, verse 12, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, having leaves, that needs to be in quotation marks because it means the preseason figs were already there if it wasn't barren. And it had leaves. And he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. Jesus knew there wasn't any. He knew it was a barren tree. He was God. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, if you don't know what time of figs is, you're going to sit there and look at that and say, time for the tree to bear figs wasn't there, and Jesus was looking for He was wasting his time going over there. Jesus was God, and he knew what time of figs meant. It meant the fig harvest. They hadn't been harvested. But you're not going to find that anywhere except someplace like the McClellan and Strong. The fig harvest. They hadn't been harvested, and there were no... There were no figs on it, and it was leaf season. There should have been figs unless it was barren. And it was five years old or older, you killed the tree because it was barren permanently. Jesus said, you are a cursed fig tree, and it died. He goes on to say, and Jesus answered and said unto the fig tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Then he went into the temple and cleansed the temple. 
I never could understand that. What he was doing was showing, I have to go cleanse the literal temple. You have to cleanse your temple. Then he says, in the morning, verse 20, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto Jesus, Master, behold, e day. It's the word e day. It's a cry of exclamation. E-I-D-E. Don't you know that it's wrong to kill fruit trees? Excuse me, it's I-D-E, not E-I-D-E. Pardon me. I-D-E. E-D-E, that's a cry of exclamation. You killed a fruit tree. Then Jesus says, The fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. It's dead. Don't you know in Deuteronomy it's against the law to kill fruit trees unless it's five years old or older not bearing figs. You think Jesus knew how old the fig tree was? He was God. I guess he did. And he killed it. And Jesus answering said, Have faith in God. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. Quit instructing me, Peter. He's always got his foot in his mouth, doesn't he? We've been teaching on Peter on Wednesday night. For verily I say unto you, for whosoever shall say to this mountain that you're involved in, this mountain of self, this Babylonian mountain, of let me make up my own doctrine. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Every time Babylon goes down in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah, she always sinks into the sea. Jeremiah says to a prophet, take this book of the law up to Babylon, tie a stone on it, cast it into the Euphrates, into the sea. When you see Babylon going down over in in uh, Revelation 18th chapter, she sinks into the sea. That'll be the destruction of all the goodies of the world at the end of time and I don't believe it's too far away and when you see the swine which were which God put into them what the man had the demoniac had in his mind which was self they killed themselves they went down the side of the mountain into the sea removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart Doubt is the word diacrino. Don't you discriminate. Crino means to judge. Dia means to be the channel or the method of judging. If you judge yourself and you doubt, you won't receive anything from God. Remove self. Will not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith, lego. Lego is the verb form of logo. Logos is the word of God. You have to agree with God when you say anything. You can't make up the stuff you're going to say. What he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And then he says... 
Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Boy, the charismatic take that and run with it. Whatsoever thing you desire, when you pray, believe. Boy, desire, pray, and believe. You'll have whatsoever you say. Desire, pray, and believe. You can't have everything that you want personally because that word desire is the same word as ask. What's that word? I-T-O. That's it. A-I-T-E-O. The Bible says we receive the things that we ask. I-T-E-O. A-I-T-E-O. That's a conditional word in the Greek. You can't be asking for self. You have to be keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. Pleasing. The word pleasing is the word E-U-A-R-E-S-K-O. When the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12 and 1, Holy, acceptable, aresco. Basic same word as pleasing in 1 John 3.22. You have to be dying to self on a daily cross to get what you ask. You can't be asking for yourself. So anybody who says, whatsoever you desire. No, 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 no. That's a legal term. That word ask is a legal, lawful term like in a law book. When Pilate said about Jesus, I find no fault in him. That word fault is a form of ask or desire. It's a legal term. A-I-T-E-M-A. Nearly the same spelling. Itema is a form of iteo. So you got to be dying to do what's pleasing. Death to self. You can't say, God, give me a car, give me a house, and I believe I get it, I'll get me a job. That's not asking. And you got to do the things that are pleasing. you got to keep his commandments, tereo. Tereo means to guard against loss. In other words, it's been written in your heart. Don't you change anything that God has written in your heart, especially this death to self. If you change anything, you can't ever get what you ask. It's a, in Thayer's lexicon, he'll say it's a legal term. And it goes along with all these other legal terms. Fault. And pray. When you pray, you believe, you receive, and you have Pray is the word P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-E. It comes from the word prayer, prosukamai. It comes from pros, meaning toward, and U-K, meaning to will. It means to will toward the will of God. You can't be getting what you pray for. These words in this verse, whatsoever you desire, ateo, death to self, keeping the words of God in your heart, and you you can't change anything so you can have it. When you 
will forward to the will of God. When you pray, we pray, thy will be done. Ye shall and believe that you receive them. Believe is the verb form of faith. Faith is death to self, isn't it? Believe is dying. Faith is the substance. Faith, hypostasis is the word substance. It means understand, under hypostasis, to stand. If you understand, you are a mathetes, a learner. That is the word disciple. And Jesus said in Luke fourteen twenty seven. He that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my learner. So you have to be dying to self to have faith or to be believing. Faith is the noun, believe is the verb. But whatever you believe, you can have it if you're if you're dying to the flesh. You can pray for spiritual things, but you can never pray for something material for yourself or even for anybody else. You don't know what the will of God is. You have to bow to the will of God and pray and believe, and that's death to self. In these words, pray, believe, ask. It's nothing but the will of God in your life and when you're dying to the flesh. Do I have any time, Mike? Huh? What do you say? Twelve. Okay. So what we're talking about here is how do you understand these things in the Bible? My suggestion is get you both of these. I don't ever quit looking at mine. If you think I just look something up once in a while, no. When I get in trouble, I go to these. These, I've got... All these books in my library, these are my favorites right here. When I'm trying to find something, I don't just look up one thing. I look up fruit trees. And it'll tell me under fruit trees that the leaves came after the first fruits. It'll tell you about time of figs was the fig harvest. So the time of figs, it doesn't mean... The fig harvest, it means the fig harvest hadn't happened. It didn't mean it wasn't time for the tree to bear figs. How are you going to know all this? If you don't, go into the culture, the customs, the idioms, the metaphors, and all those verses that the Charismatics use, some of the Baptists have started adopting them. All you got to do is say positive things with your mouth, and you get what you want. No, you don't. You get the will of God. People don't like this message when I preach it what it does it upsets their apple cart especially the charismatics I don't like the charismatic movement I despise everything in the Pentecostal movement tongues are not jibber jabber that they do it's dialectos or glossa foreign language or dialects of the corne, the common street language in that damn time how here we're every man in our own dialect and they forget it says wherein we were born these were Jews from every nation under heaven, and they were all commanded to come back to Jerusalem, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, coupled with the Day of Atonement, 
And this is a map that comes out of the compendia that Dan put on this program for me. And this is all the Jews coming back. And they've been in captivity for for hundreds of years, 500 years, 600 years, northern Israel, 700 years. They've been in captivity by the time you get to Acts 2. And these are Jews from every nation under heaven speaking different gloss and different dialects. Good grief, Pentecostals, don't you understand that? It's not stupid. That's really dumb, especially when you find out what it's about. That's one of the miracles of God to get the message to the... It was pouring out of God's Spirit on all flesh. When they come here, they hear Peter, Peter preach the resurrection in their tongues, in their dialects, where they were born. And they're going to go back to the home, and the people in Carthage that are Jews are going to tell the Gentiles in Carthage what Peter preached, the resurrection at Pentecost. That's fairly simple, you know that? It's not even hard. And the miracles of the ear, not of the mouth and the tongue. God delivers from all this error in the church. I am sick, sick, sick of it. You know what's wrong with the preachers? They are lazy bums. They don't care what the Bible says in the original language. They don't know what the customs are, the culture. I've got a book. It's called, um, it's a book on ancient customs. It'll give you all kinds of things. One of the most touching things it has in it is where in the Psalms, I don't remember where it is, David says, God will bear us up on eagle's wings. Then he'll tell about in this book how the mother eagle would push the baby eaglet, that's a baby eagle, out when she thought it was time, and the baby would flap its wings, and the mother would see that it couldn't fly yet, and she'd get out under it and flap her wings and give it wind to take her back to the nest. Boy, that's very, see, God sees we can't fly. And he says, I can pick you up with the with the air that I've got, and I can make you lift and go back to the nest. Everything has a meaning. But people read that, and, well, you know, that's wonderful. I'll get into this self-righteous tone of voice. Nothing means anything that's going on in the churches today. You've got to... Study the culture, the customs, the idioms. Let me go back to this 11th chapter. You've got all kinds of verses that the charismatics use. I guess a favorite one is, let me flip over to Romans 4. This is one of their positive confession verses. Romans 4. And they don't even care what it means. This is a favorite verse of mine to preach against the charismatic movement. If somebody don't call them down, who's going to call them down if I don't? That's where I look at it. Romans 4. It's talking about the faith of Abraham in verse 16. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed 
even God who quickeneth the dead. And God calls those things which be not as though they were. Things that were not were things that were dead. When you go over there to Genesis 37 and 30 and and Genesis 42 and 13, when when uh, when Joseph was in Egypt and uh, his brothers come and stand before him and they don't even know it's him and they're speaking, Joseph is speaking to him through an interpreter and he asks him who they are and he said, you're spies. He's trying to see if they're repentant for what they've done by selling him into captivity about 20 years before. And they said, no, we are 12 sons and the youngest, we're 10 of them here. The youngest one is at home with our father and one is not. And they're talking to him. And that's Joseph. They're saying that Joseph is dead. One is not. Something that was not when the Herod gave the decree to kill all the children two years old and under in Jerusalem in the second chapter of Matthew in order to get the new king according to the time that he was inquired of the wise man at what time the star appeared it was two years earlier so jesus was at least two years old living in a house not in a manger when the wise men got there and the bible says the women were weeping for rachel's children which is talking about the children there in jerusalem because they were not they were dead and then it says calling things that be not as though they were the charismatic say, all you have to do is say it, and you call something, it's not, you can say, Cadillac, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac, come on, Cadillac. And you'll get one. You can stipulate if it's got gold trim all over it. But it tells you what it's about in the next verse. Who against hope, believed in hope, that Abraham might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now sexually dead. He was impotent. And when he was about a 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, she didn't ovulate anymore. She couldn't have children. God says, you're going to have a son between you and her. And Abraham, and it says, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So staggering is unbelief, isn't it? That's the same word and not doubt in your heart through unbelief. Over there in Mark eleven twenty-three, The word stagger here, diacrino, is the same word as doubt in Mark eleven twenty-three. Same word. So stagger, the Bible says stagger is unbelief. So you can apply that anywhere you find diacrino, you can say, Diacrino is unbelief. So, if you'll say to this mountain of Babylon, in your heart, you want to argue with God, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and not doubt, not set there in unbelief, self can be removed from your life. But you've got to be, but without knowing the culture, how are you going to understand that? Can anybody understand? I've never heard any preacher in the world that understands this. I've heard preachers pre- at it, preach at it. I've heard them preach at Mark eleven twenty three, and they all get it wrong. And the charismatics say, all you have to do is say it with your mouth and you get it. 
You guys are idiots. Idiot comes from the word idiotes, means unlearned. And if you never learn and you can't learn, you're stupid. Ba'ar. You have the understanding of a brute beast. You're brutish. You can't learn. And then he says, Be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not in unbelief through it, at the promise of God that he would have a son through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He said, I believe you, God. And when God told Abraham to go up on a mountain, this boy that I promised you is going to bless all the earth. I want you to do something, Abraham. Kill him. Abraham said, okay. He takes off up to Mount Moriah, and he's going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. He had full intentions of it. He pulled that knife back and started to plunge it into Isaac. God said, stop. I just want to check your faith. See how faithful you are. God knew how faithful he was. And then he said, I've supplied a lamb here, a ram here in the bushes. Get him and offer him instead. Picture of Christ. Am I out of time, Mike? Okay. But you couldn't understand. I have preached on this before, but there's no way to understand it without having some source of knowing what does leaf season mean? What does time of figs mean? When you look at these things in the Bible, these guys that made these encyclopedias, in fact, I called Mr. Baker at Baker Publishing. I said, Mr. Baker, do you know that you got one of the best set of books that's ever been printed? He said, yeah, I know that. I heard that. That was it. He didn't want to print them any more than every 20 years. And when he prints them, last time he printed them in 2001, we bought several sets, and they went, they were gone. And I love these books, the McClinican Strong and the Hastings. You got Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. You also have Hastings Dictionary, six volumes of a dictionary. This is 13 volumes here. With these things, you can study from now on and learn as long as you live. And when you die, and I'm not far from death, I'm 79, I probably won't live past 90. I can't, you can't get everything out of those if you study them every day of your life. The information is, is phenomenal. Well, I hope I've helped you see how you have to think. I was going to get into Zechariah, the 14th chapter. I may do that next week. You've got to think figuratively. One lady keeps writing me and wants me to explain that on the phone. I can't explain that on the phone. It's about the church, God's Israel, as many as walk according to the rule of God. Peace be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God's Israel are those who walk according to his rule, his canon. The word rule is canon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I pray for the church that you'll strengthen them, cause them to desire you more each day. Keep opening the doors for this ministry and for the Spanish ministry, Lord. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people out there that don't know the truth. 
teach us which way to go, what to do, so these people will know that we're here. Fight our battles. Let us cheer elect in Christ's name. Amen. I'm afraid a lot of people buy the McClinic and Strong and they don't get into them in the articles. The articles are just so revealing. books that suggest people to buy suggest on books yeah like well yeah I suggest you get these if you can I suggest Alfred Edersheim's got four books Alfred Edersheim he lived in the 1800's brilliant man He's uh, you can call gospel not gospel missions. You can call uh, uh, Christian book distributors. You can find them online and uh, ask about Alfred Edersheim. He's got four books. He's got one called Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, sketches of the Jewish social life. It'll tell you about their culture, their customs what they meant when they did something, when they said something. And then you'll have, uh, he's got one called The History of Israel. Excellent book on Israel's history. Gives you a lot of culture in there. And he's got one called The Temple, Its Ministry and Services. That's this one right here. I've got a copy up here and a copy at home. I really love Edersheim's teaching. And uh, and then you've got, he tells you about the Jews in the first century in the ancient world, their culture. Then there's a man named, uh, there's a book called, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name right now. He'll tell you about the Greek culture in the first century. Uh, His name was, uh, I can't think of it. I I'll, I I'll get I, it just eluded my mind. I I pronounced it so many times I can't. Yeah, I'll. Uh, yeah, so. You, I hope you're beginning to see. Maybe living in that family messed up your thinking, and it's just not true. I hope you can see.